Welcome back, podcast world. We're. Is that Alex Crosby? No, that's Alex oh. Crosby's uh, standing in double. Cohort. Yeah. Alex Crosby is non existent today here in the old podcast lab. He's shoveling horse shit down at the rodeo. Yep. We're getting ready to anyway and mixing it with ice cream. He told me he was rosin up his bull rope, his bull rope getting yeah. ready. For maybe the real cowboys. Yeah, he, somebody else. He was stretching other people's ropes, yeah. yeah. He might be. He might be in the goat roping this weekend, you yeah, think? Exactly. <laughs> so, if you don't hear Alex's voice, don't be sad. You got me, Clay Belding. You got that guy over there, that's Clint Belding. And that guy over there, that's Uncle Mel Belding. So, three Beldings. No Crosby. That's what we're calling this one. Three Beldings, no Crosby. All right. How's that sound? Excellent. Excellent? Sounds good to me. Well, well, this but podcast is brought it. to you by our great partners at Meet Your Maker. Meet. Kind of the end all of why we do what we do, really, of conservation. One of the reasons why we do what we do is at the end of it to be able to eat your harvest and you know, for your family and friends, and they make it very easy uh, to break down all your animals, to preserve it, to make sausage, grind it. I mean, I don't know how many times we've gone from killing an animal to grinding it to eating it within an hour of each other. I was just going to say, last weekend I got out six packages of backstraps from the November 2021 elk kill, yep. and they were... As always, the best elk steaks you ever had in your life until you have them the next time around, but they were pretty dang good. A yeah. little on the tough side, though, unless you grind her. Not, not the back straps. Nah, they're Nevada bulls. They don't, they're not known for their tenderness, man. I mean, well, you need I to, think that one was processed pretty and well. And, yeah. Yeah. Cook, Uncle I, I, them two-year-old bulls are a different story than 12-year-old bulls. <laughs> Mine you was know. somewhere in between that, I think. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. But I love using them. We, I mean... We used them from every, obviously every duck and goose camp. When you kill hundreds of geese in a you know in a couple days span, it's you have to get rid of them or eat them because they're all in your possession limit. So when there's ten or fifteen people in camp, it's really easy to come in, grind them, tacos, whatever, then freeze them and then pass them out and let the if you're hunting with an outfitter, keep them in the freezer, then he can feed the next people that are in camp and stuff. So, yeah. meat makes it really easy. There's, yeah, it's, it's fun because you, you remember back in the day when you, you probably used to do, you've made some jerky and sausage in your day and well, using yeah. the old hand crank grinders and, and little KitchenAid quarter horsepower grinders well, and stuff. You're to. just like, you're like burning stuff up, but now. You know, I mean, you, you, you make that jerky, you find new friends for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they all want it, you oh, know. Yeah. I think the big part of it, like we've talked about before, is kind of the waste part of it. You know, it's especially with waterfowl hunting, you, you, you harvest so many birds. You know, you can give away as much as you can. You can cook as much as you can, but you're inevitably going to get in the bottom of your deep freeze and have, oh, yeah. you know, if you duck breast, goose breast. I'm yeah, talking yeah, in yeah. the old day. You know, you're yeah. inevitably going to have frostbite, frostbitten goose breasts in the bottom of your freezer that are you know two or three years old that you just kind of and grinding that stuff up and how easy it is and the seal that you can make in the packages i mean to me that 
as far as consuming all of it all of it for sure but i'd say your average guy as far as waterfowl hunting the fact you know the fact that you can have bag limits and you know you kill a deer you kill a deer you're done but you know waterfowl you can you can get a lot of meat building up in your freezer and you know the 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 waste of that over the years and the freshness of it is is a so much better nowadays with the product like that than it was even back when we were kids yeah they got grinders and stuffers and dehydrators and package sealers and i mean everything you can think of and they are actually coming out with their own label of high-end kitchen knives so they're going to be full full on anything you need to process your animals they're going to have so it's awesome i love uh, I love the park because it's enjoyable, you know. How about it's, it's uh, actually enjoyable to be to be able to take your food from flying an hour or walking in the desert to eating it that quick. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Our last discussion we had. Uh, have you used the sous vide yet? One time. And cooked perfectly. What'd you cook? Steak, and it was cooked perfectly perfect temperature 133 um but i don't think i let it sit long enough because you know with the traeger you get that smoke and that flavor built into it from that that the barbecue or the, and the you know the traeger but with that i didn't think i took the time to marinate long because sitting in that bag that's where it cooks obviously mm-hmm. so i didn't i don't think i either let it sit long enough in the bag or whatever so it wasn't as flavorful but cooked perfectly. Oh, but so you're talking pre sous vide. Yeah, yeah. You just you know kind of like so the marinating process. Yeah, exactly. You just figured that. Okay. Right. Because you're but, not pulling the smoke the in off the trigger. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's they got a lot. They got a lot of cool stuff. But well, on that note, can you come up with a a recipe, if you will, uh, part sous vide, get it. Yes. halfway cooked and then throw it on the Traeger or reverse sear it, mm-hmm. you know, on the Ranger I, or something I like believe, that. That would be I, the way to I do it. I believe that's how a lot of high-end restaurants are. Like, if you go to New York and you go to some real fancy place, that's how they get their meat. You know, if they're yeah. a steakhouse and they cook yeah. 200 steaks a night, right. they're not it's sitting halfway there over there. a barbecue. Mm-hmm. They cook yeah. them that way and then get them to a point and then they only have to do that last two there minutes aside. Yeah, there you whatever go. Whatever it is. Yeah, I should so. employ that strategy next time. <laughs> I'll figure it. I've never done it before, so it's a learning curve for sure. Have you ever did that? Cook sous vide? Cook in a bag in hot water? No, I haven't done that. I do a lot of reverse sear. Yeah. No, it's it's all done. You put it in a bag, and you, you put this mechanism down in a vat of water, and you put that bag down in there, and it cooks it through the hot water, basically. Sous vide? S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E, I think it's called, or it's spelled. I believe it's French. But you know, a lot of these guys at restaurants, they're they're using like a rotisserie, you know, a big revolving wheel, kind of like the same thing you're seeing at McDonald's. You know, you don't put anything on a grill; you put it on, and it goes through the lamp, and then it's it's done when it's on the other side. A lot of people will yeah. do steaks like that. Ruth Chris isn't there; they're they're a <clears throat> six hundred degree. Uh, cook when you that yeah. Chris I mean it's a and then they do something at the end that's they're yeah, kind of patting I think it's a like a hot plate sear, yeah I mean you know they're cooking at 600 degrees yeah. so they don't it doesn't, doesn't take, take much time yeah that is you a know. good steak one of the best I had you know I cook for 
the guzzler last weekend and there was uh, 40, 47 of them ate. I put them all on at the same time, New York strips. And But before I did it, I went ahead and took a cast iron uh, pot and got it super hot and I seared the fat, just the fat side of that New York. And it's supposed to do a couple things. Uh, when, when you're doing a steak like that, you're grilling. I mean, you know, you're, you're over 400 degrees, but it's supposed to be a little less volatile with the fat going off at 120. Most of your steaks, if you if you're gauging it, you know you check it. That, that fat's going off at 120. So what it does is it it sears it in and sends it inside the meat. They say and you don't get these bad flare-ups. But 47 steaks at one time is a that's a lot. It's a job. You know, yeah. you're, you don't you're need working a, at you it. You don't need a grease fire in the we middle just, of the desert. We did. Chad, Jen, and me went to Colorado Springs. So Dickies. Workwear just turned 100 years. They've been around 100 years. Pretty amazing. American bread right there in Texas. And they collaborated with Traeger. So their idea of king of the cook world, smokers, and king of the workwear joined up. And they collaborated with these these clothes for cooking. So they came out with these shorts that have kind of like, instead of wearing an apron, they have some things you can put your sauces in and your towels hooked onto, and it's got a clip here, and you can put your spatula and all these different little uh, things on the shorts and cool some shirts and uh, some work shirts and stuff. So we went actually to Colorado Springs and we cooked um, American almond beef sliders for, and about three hundred people came through in two hours. We, me, <laughs> three of us were just. It was busy. nonstop, yeah. So, but it it turned out good. All on the Traeger, and we would smoke. We would just make little, uh, basically meatballs, pre-season, and roll them into meatballs, and then smoke them on the Traeger 885 for about 15, 20 minutes, and then smash burger style, take that straight off to uh, the um, Ranger Traeger Ranger, the little one that has a hot skillet on it, uh-huh. cast iron skillet, and smash them. Right there and it cooks you know in like a minute and a half and just non-stop all day you know it's just it's really interesting these smash burgers today you know they, a lot of people oh you can't smash that burger you just don't smash it but you know it seems to be pretty common a lot of people are doing it they enjoy it there's a there's a uh, fast food restaurant now called smash burger oh, sure. so yeah. anyway we had a lot of fun did, did 300 people and cooked for I don't know, two two and a half hours, and then actually stayed a little longer than two. People were still coming, saying, "Can I have two? Can I can I have another one?" <laughs> anyway, that's fun. But cool. Uncle Mel's back in the lab today to talk more about his knowledge about hunting, and we've talked about kind of game management, deer management, especially here in Nevada. Two weeks ago, Clint wasn't here last week for the ballistics talk and i'm sure we could talk more about that in the future because we didn't get to it all but it's like well i gotta listen to that podcast to get educated a little bit and now today i want to talk kind of the i i think the most important part of really any hunting and that is glassing optics in my view is if you can't find them you're never going to kill them, but unless you're just accidentally walking up a mountain and spooking a mountain and shooting them. 
but I think if you're waterfowl hunting, you, you need good optics to find exactly where they're hitting in the field, what field that, you know, what style of field they're hunting or what crop they're hitting. Are, you know, are they hitting at the top of the apex of the field and walking down into, that's a big mistake. A lot of people go in and see these birds sitting in a field and they're down in the goalie of the field or a little indentation of the field. Well, that's where they set up the next morning and the birds never come in. Because a lot of the times, those most of the times, those birds hit at the top of the field and then walk down into those goalies. Um, and so optics plays a big role in what we do as waterfowl hunters, finding the birds and big game hunting where you could sit on a outlook for hours, hours trying to find animals, right? Absolutely, but it's just as important an upland game also, especially, you know, our wily devil, devil's bird, that chucker. You know, you hear him talking and... You don't want to walk you, up? Yeah, where, yeah. where are they? Where, you know, where <laughs> the are those things, you know? <laughs> Little red-legged devils, but yeah, optics are very very important uh right next to the trigger i guess you'd say but you know that well you're never going to get to that trigger <laughs> if you can't find the animals well it, it just depends <laughs> well yeah. that's what he said yeah. last week the the two two and a quarter what'd you say two and three quarter two pound. and three quarter pound is his trigger pull yeah I mean, you know you wouldn't give him my choice he talked about optics the, the type of gun or <laughs> as well you wouldn't even give him my choice <laughs> yeah i'm gonna talk that i'm gonna talk trigger pull but well, so. I think it comes back to that question to stay on on the optics part of stuff. You know, if you're if you're wanting to get started as far as novice or or if you're, you know, an avid hunter and you're going to go out there and and re-gear and retool and you've got a budget, how would you prioritize what you're going to spend most expensive to least expensive? Optics, you know, your rifle, your 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 uh, your ammunition, your gear, your boots, your socks. I mean, what do you put on the priority list? Well, I, I think you could kind of answer that question just by, you know, like when you're discussing, hey, what is the best gun manufacturer? What is, you know, you can you can get a very, very good rifle for under $1,000, right? I mean, $750. It's, it's going to be accurate as you want it. Um, your boots, you know, 400 bucks for the the better ones, 500. When you're talking optics, you're talking some, some glass that's just way outclasses that. Just you're going to spend more money. And you know, my, in my life, you guys knew what I did. I mean, I I started with what I could afford, and and you know, you get older and you're making more money, you afford something else. But now, honestly, I tell guys, you know what? Buy the best. You buy the best. Bite the bullet. And just take it on time. Just buy it, buy it on credit. Because I'll guarantee you, you're going to spend three times as much if you start out on that lower scale, with especially with binoculars and spotting yeah. scopes. I think that's kind of what we're getting at, right? Yeah. If you're going to buy near top of the line in any of those categories, and you've got a budget to think about, it's worthwhile. If one product, it's your optics. That's where you go on the high end because you're going to save yourself wearing out those boots because you're walking up and down the mountain so many times to find out it's not the animal you want or it actually doesn't even have horns or whatever the case may be but yeah i think that's kind of the point we're getting at is if you're going to spend top dollar on something because at the end of the day it's all expensive i mean 400 500 pair of boots is very expensive yeah. but you can get by with a 300 dollars pair of boots sure. you can even get by with a 200 dollars pair of boots you know depending on how how rough you are but 
you're better off looking at the top end stuff when it comes to optics. And I, I think not only in finding, but kind of how we started the conversation of getting something to eat. If you have what we grew up on, you know, <laughs> one by nine Tascos or the <laughs> Woolworth scope for Sears, yeah. you know, the, the little things kill you killed them with them all day long. But you don't know how many animals were wounded. And I remember growing up, I'm sure with dad, you know, he's out, you sight your rifle into 150 or 200 yards. And now he's out there at 400. You're like, hold it above his shoulder six inches. Oh no, you hit underneath him. Hold it above him at 10 inches. You know, lucky. But now. And then you find out he wasn't 400, he was 600. Exactly. So now with. better even right range finder get the range on them now you dial in that turret on the vortex and you pull the trigger i mean it's as long obviously you got to practice and you're breathing your trigger pull all those things come into play yes but if when you practice and get those things dialed in that scope there's no more there's no more guessing really i mean you dialed in range finder 850 yards dial up the turret and pull the trigger and i think that is way more ethical absolutely than trying you know try, oh i can only afford a one by or two by scope or whatever it is and now you're you're trying to kill an elk at 600 yards and you wound him and he grows runs off i mean it's not ethical it's not right it's not you know it's not the way to do it so and i'm not trying to preach but i just think you're going to the, the whole experience is better off than sitting there on a if you're deer hunting or elk hunting or whatever, sitting on it on a, you know, outlook, finding that thing. Okay, he, he has horns. Let's it's at two thousand yards. Okay, now let's get to a thousand yards. Okay, that's an animal I want to go after, and you know, make make your move and, and pull the trigger on him. But like you're saying it saves you a lot of time, a lot of wasted time. Sure. Yeah. No, that's absolutely. And I've always been one that when I go in and sit down, especially for mule deer, um, not so much with bighorn sheep, but with mule deer, I'm always looking first with my eyes um, because they can be in very, very close to you. And, and some guys will just sit down, set up a spotting scope, and the, you know they're automatically spotting. And the things within 400 yards of them, they're probably never gonna see, um, but with, Look with your naked eye, grab your binos, use your binos in there out to three, 400 yards, and then, you know, get into your optics, get into your mm-hmm. your one holers and see what what you can see. And it, it, it uh, it's surprising. And, you know, I've been in on sheep at 50 yards and they didn't know me there, but I mean, it just doesn't happen that much. But mule deer, they'll let you walk right by them. So. It's it, it makes a difference. That is the game changer is having great optics. And how so how do you glass, let's say you're looking with some ten by forty twos, twelve by fifties, whatever your optics of, you know, binoculars size that you have, how do you glass a mountainside? Do you personally and what do you think is the best um, way to go about it? Up, down Look at your whole view of your, don't move, look at the whole eyepiece, and then pick out something on your, maybe your right side if you're going to the right of that, and move your glasses to that point and go up and down to cover the whole thing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, how, how do you do it? How do you make sure you don't miss a spot on a mountainside? I honestly, 
I honestly love going from left to right and then take about half of that field of view and go back left to right. So I'll scan it back quickly. I'll go left to right, scan it back quickly. And it's the same with the spot and scope as is binos. But, you know, I've seen all these guys for years with these binos with the tripod and, you know, they move it with their chin. And it is, it, it's a game changer also. I mean, you have no, no movement of that. It's just, you're just moving your eyes along and it, you're pushing it and then scan back quick and then drop down about half the field and go again. There's been times that, you know, especially sheep, I know there's a ram there. I know there's a ram there, but I will, I will not pop more. You know, I want 20 power when I'm spotting. Um, and the, the biggest reason why is field of view. But if, you know, if I span, if I scan this mountain, I don't find something, I just get a feeling there's something here. So now I'll crank it up to 30 and go back through the same movements. But when, especially you, you'll find, you know, when you're hunting with people, you, you've spotted something, you tell them where they're at, and their eyes are still in the spotting scope or the binocular. So I'll say, hey, just look naked eye, take a look at that rock, you know, there by those three trees. And, uh, but they always want to look at those binoculars. Our old coach, you know, old Joe Sellers, you know, he he was a hell of a spotter, but it took him a while because he was constantly spotting in 60 power. And, you know, you would explain things to him, and he's talking about this other detail, and, you know, what power are you in yeah. anyway, you know? So I like to drop down into that 20, and I've got a spotting scope that goes 12 power, and I love that in close at 40 yards, but... Um, it just makes a heck of a difference on a tripod. I think a tripod is a is just just as important as that your glass. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that's brings up the other part of, of the skill of things and arm fatigue, shoulder fatigue, mm -hmm. and and eye fatigue. I think that's the other thing we would get into is you know kind of what your recommendation is on you know how long do you look in your binoculars? You're scanning, you know, and after a while you start having double vision you start seeing things that aren't there and that's you start realizing you have eye fatigue you know and some of that's just you know getting your muscles ready for a hunt to, and your lungs ready for a hunt there's there's a lot to say about getting your eyes ready for a hunt too i know first coyote hunt of the season after a break the first big game hunt of the season after my my eyes get tired a lot quicker I and mean, you just have to you have to realize that that's very similar to muscle fatigue and and make sure you can take a break, use the naked eye, and do some scanning, and then get back in your binoculars. Because you'll actually, in my in in my experiences, sometimes you do miss stuff, especially when your buddy, your your your, your uncle, finds the animal and they're trying to tell you where it's at, and you're you're getting frustrated because you can't see it because you spent the entire previous 15 minutes in your glass, yeah. and it's really not a very smart strategy to do. It's it's a it's a good idea. I, I'm sure we're all a little bit different with our experiences but you gotta you gotta take into account when you want to get out of your glass a little bit and give your eyes a little bit of a break yeah i think you're i, I think that's the reason why you have high-end glasses it's just exactly what you're talking about i mean I, I would not like to see you if you know on a day when you were using some lesser glass because this the glass they have today is so comfortable to the eye yeah. And they're, 
the most the difference is guys is coatings what manufacturer what coatings it is um, and, and it makes a heck of a difference for people like something that you like uh, because of a certain coating I might mm-hmm. might not have the same opinion of it it's not that it's no good it's just that hey Mike you know I like another type of coating so and that's all it is these these guys are using the, the best glass that you can buy um, that anyone we couldn't buy it but they do and, and it's the coatings that make make the difference between them uncle mel's got his phone on geez there's not a dog barking in here that is a phone <laughs> well usually i don't get any calls and uh, <laughs> you're not that important <laughs> no i'm not I, I hardly ever get a phone call it's unless it's around unless it's around <laughs> it's uh, not hunting season, season yeah. and it's not where's the sheep <laughs> uncle mel <laughs> and unless unless it, unless it's right after the draw happens then it's a yeah, yeah those it's, first it's two pretty, days huh uh, where are the sheep at in areas? So, you know. yeah. <laughs> How many times? I mean, besides getting that feeling, because I get that too. You know, there's got to be a deer here. There's got to be something here, because if you're starting at first light and and glassing, the the sun's going to change, the shadows are going to change, the deer are going to get up, maybe twitch, going to move over one bush, step around one side of a sagebrush to get more shadow or more, you know shade or whatever the case may be so i mean i'll sit there for hours glassing back and forth because you, you some of the sagebrush in nevada has never been hit by a fire and it's eight feet tall yeah at least i mean you can you'll never see a deer or or elk in there uh mostly deer in that tall sagebrush but you're uh, i remember specifically john david stanley we, we were driving in the sheldon in a truck bouncing and he was glassing out the window. I'm like, John David. And he's, he's got, we got, he's he has teenager. a deer tag yeah. and he's probably 14 or something, 15. And I'm like, JD, you cannot glass like that. You, you let us get to a point where we can, we're going to stop here in 30 seconds. And he can, nope, no deer on there. Keep, let's go. No deer there's, over there. There's Keep no going. deer on that no, mountain. No deer on that mountain. Nothing on that mountain. And I just said, okay, stop, stop. The Teach truck. his kid a lesson. And I just stopped the truck. <laughs> I rolled down the window, put the glasses up. I go, well, what about those right there? Yeah. Huh? Huh? <laughs> so, well, well, they just—they just got there. They yeah, just, just got up. there. So but John I, David is now a master hunter of all master yeah, hunters, and it's all thanks to Clay. Yeah. Clay's exactly, lesson yeah. changed his life. Well, you have to have that experience. It's like a horse, you know. You need those wet saddle blankets <laughs> to make him good. And you gotta get but, so, how there. long do you sit on a mount? Like, typically, I mean, it's not the same every time, obviously, but. I mean, it's good to sit there for hours, right? I mean, because like I was just explaining, all, all those it's, different, the winds change, the sun change. That, that's one thing, the wind to me. But, um, you know, the, the deer doesn't have to get up and move. All he has to do is is change his head to where he's looking. And sometimes it takes that movement. Yeah. You've looked at him 30 times. And, would never, and yeah. he's just dead still. Uh, plus, you know, a lot of them like to sit in the brush not just in front of it, they like to sit in it where they're, like us, we try to break our body up with the camouflage where if we're doing, but a deer is doing the same thing. They don't, they don't get mature to six, seven years old being stupid. So, yeah, I, I, honestly, I've sat, especially sheep hunting, um, deer hunting is a little different, but especially sheep hunting, I, three to four hours is yeah. nothing for me to, to sit and, and just be in the spotting scope that long. And we're not spotting, you know, 800 yards away. We're spotting a mile, a mile and a half away. But the guy who, 
one of the guys I listened to a lot, uh, you know, he said, look, if you can't find sheep on that mountain, get back further away from them and take a look at it. You know, open up a whole new world. And look like, you know, you said, okay, I'm going to sit here for an hour and I'm going to glass. So you sit there for an hour and you glass, you don't see anything. And just take 40 steps and look at the same country. It all looks different. Yeah. Those angles yeah. open up sure. to you. It just gives you such such more perspective of what the country yeah, is. Yeah, I so. think I think there's a big learning curve to glassing. Sure. People move way too fast, don't glass long enough, and like you said, you deer will let you walk right on by. Oh sure. And so if you don't sit there and take the time and maybe make a deer nervous, going, oh, he's been there a little too long. He might know I'm here. Because mm-hmm. there's so many times where you're sitting there glassing and going. There's nothing here, and deer jump up 30 right yards from you, laying right, laying right there with you. You hear them before you saw yeah, them. Yeah, and you're like, sure. oh, I've been sitting here for an hour. Where the hell did yeah. they come from? Well, come they from? finally got a little bit nervous or wind change or scent or whatever the case may be. But I think that's glassing is a big learning curve. People just need to slow down and chill. Not just slow down, but also stop. I mean, yeah. oh, I've cool. had it, you know, Uncle Ralph, or, you know, Ralph Phillips, you know, I learned a lot one day from him, and... And, uh, you know, he would take 20, 30 steps in that tall brush you're talking about, like massacre country. And he'd take 20, 30 steps and stop and turn around. And, you know, I had just busted through this where he, he was sitting on a rock and I busted through and then he called me back and I went back. He goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, well, I'm hunting like you told me. I'm t-. He goes, he goes, no, what I want you to do is take 20 steps and turn around. And I want you to know, stay there, and I want you to take 20 more steps and turn around. And, you know, I've just been through this country twice. And I, I couldn't believe what was popping up out of the grass because they get nervous. Yeah. If you're walking, you know, they see a lot of people walk by them. So, hey, he's just going to walk on by. But if you stop and turn around and kick, you know, kick the dirt a little bit, they're, they're going to jump up if they're in there. I mean, that's one of the biggest things Dad always taught us, you know, especially when you're going – over, uh, say, a new ridge, you know, and you, you're going to look at that next little hillside. Well, if you just race to the top to get the whole mountain in view, to you're going to screw you're up. Blow them out. Blow them out. Look I at mean, it coming up. Every five feet, you stop because there's new country in every angle. Every 10 feet, slow down and glass. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I don't think that the general rule would be if, if you haven't found an animal, because I think that's a different part of the conversation, if you have found an animal and you're going after them, but, yeah, if you're f- trying to find animals, it's kind of counterintuitive. But, yeah, you're moving slower, you're sitting longer, and you're taking your time trying to see animals. You know, that's that's the most important thing. Um, Uncle Bell said earlier, I, generally, rule would be steeper the country, further away you want to be. You were talking about, you know, you get in there sometimes. You had, I mean, I learned a lot of that. Each time I've been on an elk hunt, because it's just completely different country than the western side of the state. But, yeah, if you're going to find elk, which elk aren't really that hard to spot, right? I mean, as far as spotting animals, that's probably the one that, I mean, antelope, antelope in a way because of where they tend to hang out. But you're going you're gonna to see elk. You're going you're gonna to find elk. If it's the right kind of day, you're going to find them. Finding out what they actually are is a whole other ball of wax. But, uh, but yeah, when you're in in fairly close to country, you really do lose perspective at actually how steep it really is and how thick the trees are. And, you know, you could walk if you're in a situation or drive three-quarters of a mile further away and see Open 80% up. more animals. I can't believe how many times we did that where it was like, hmm, that's a little different than the way a lot of people 
hunt, really. It's yeah. like, oh, I got to get closer or I got to get higher. I'm going to hike up to that next ridge. It's not going to help you out because that country still is steep. Yeah. So, back. you know, you might, need, you might be able to see into that next little pocket and stuff, but you're not seeing the bottom of those drainages or those ravines that are close to you. So, yeah, actually, the steeper the country getting further away, I mentioned sheep hunting, that's the same kind of thing, right? You're just going to be able to see if you have good optics and you can trust your eyes and your instincts. You know, don't be afraid yeah, to be just, a long ways away and at least be able to spot animals. Think about how far those guys were in Ely when you were when you were glassing that country. I mean, you're talking five and six miles. Long ways away. Don't you? Yeah, you're talking no, five no. and six miles, um, and and you can see them. You know, now now you spot him, then then go ahead and crank your scope up if you got twenty to sixty or eighty or whatever you got. Crank it up and take a look. But yeah, I mean, glassing is is uh especially for sheep um but you want to talk about and i the, the most difficult glassing i ever did was on a brown bear hunt in russia um the, the reason why is it there, it's snow-covered mountains everything is black everything and it's it's just what the bear does the bear he comes out, it was a spring bear hunt, and they come out and they just barely get their head out. Then they bring more of their body and then more, and then finally they're all the way out. And then they'll walk up on top of their snow den and they'll, they'll lay there, but just motionless. And, you know, when I started spotting these things, I'm going, my God, I, I've never had this tough of a time because everything, the bear looks like a big rock. So what I, I started doing was, and I'm glassing again, you know, three to six miles. So what I'm looking for, if I think it's a bear and he's laying out, I would look for his tracks leading up there to where he was, and I'd say, okay, this is a bear. Look at the bear tracks. Huh. But I, I, I found it, you know, crazy. I, I, I love spotting sheep. I, I spot hundreds every year, but it, huh. it brown bear hunting in that snow in uh, in Russia was just a different game. It was very difficult. What do you think the hardest? I mean, an animal in its environment. What is that you've hunted? Is the hardest to hunt or to, to spot? What blends in the most? What uses? I, I don't know if I'm. Re so you're talking like we're talking through yeah, your optics. If you're through and the being optics, spot, if you have sure. an antelope in his environment in, in Western Nevada, a deer, an elk, a moose, you know, all the stuff that we have here. What's the hardest? Is it a mule deer? I'd have to. I would think so. I'd have to give it to a mule deer. Easy. I, would. I don't even know if there's any. I don't know if you could even make an argument. Coyote. <laughs> uh, Mountain you know, lion, if bobcat. I were, if I were to go with a, with a predator, I'd have to go with yeah. a bobcat. But, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, those things, you, you can be 10 feet away from them, not even <laughs> see them until you just see those yellow eyes. But I, I you know, like spotting elk. I love spotting elk before the sun comes up because it's a glow bug, you know, oh, a yeah. bull elk. You know, it just looks like a big glow, and yeah. it always seems they're right on the edge of that, of that dense cover. Uh -huh. And you know, they go out at what we call the park. You know, they go out to where they can graze, but the sun's up, and they've been in there for 20 minutes. They're back in there. Yeah. They, they're not waiting for that sun to hit their back. They know when that sun's coming up, but you know, they just look like a glow. It, so that, yeah. like what we call the magic hour in in fly fishing, it's the same magic hour we have for mule deer, not antelope, but mule deer and elk. Um, 
you know, there is that magic hour with them. Sure. And that's an hour before sunup and and uh, an hour before sundown, you know. I got a question for you. Spotting scope. Spotting scope. Straight or crooked eye or whatever. Per- periscope. Uh, offset. Off, whatever. Yeah. Periscope, offset, same thing. Angled. Angled. Angled spotting scope. What yeah. do you do? Angled or straight? I'm straight. You're straight. <clears throat> yeah, the only way... Uh, and uh, again, I'm going to start talking about Ely and, you know, when you're spotting around a lot of people and, uh, there's guys watching you, um, it is really nice to have an angled spotting scope and to go into a mountain and where it looks like you're hitting this part of the mountain, the certain part, but with that angled spotting scope, I love rolling it over down so it's sideways and i'll be spotting 45 degrees from where i'm sitting so, so, you, so you're using it as a defensive scope. mechanism you're so getting they don't at know. other hunters trying to well, trying it's the to other hunters and okay. they're saying okay I, you know okay. he's look he's looking right there and they'll get out of the truck and they'll start looking right there or they'll stay in their truck and they'll start looking where they think i'm looking but my spotting scope with that angle is actually sitting you know on its side gotcha. and and then i'm spotting 45 degrees away from me now i like uh, a straight spotting scope because that's what i started with and i can get on something faster than i can with an angled spotting yeah. scope that's got to be the big advantage so, right i i think that's it but i love uh, angled though i love it a, a lot of people do and, and you know on a bench when you're when you're sighting in it's hard to beat a, an angled spotting scope it's just more for me, it's more comfortable to, you know, it's if I'm not looking, for me. looking straight across like that versus hanging your head a little bit like that. I think that's, uh, that to me is what breaks it up. If that, if you're looking for comfort, you, the offset, but yeah, as far as the same as depending on your technique, I know all our technique is you want to find the animal with your naked eye over the top of your rifle scope and then get into your scope. Yeah. not yeah. That same. I mean, so if you want to have the ease of. I see that animal, I know exactly what ridge it is, and I'll look right over the top of my sh- flat spotting scope. Yeah, so yeah. for those two reasons, but to say one's better than the other. I, I wouldn't uh, say better. I just would yeah, Correct me if I'm wrong. Can't, don't they ha- can't you get better uh, light with the offset ones? Is the way they're actually made? Is there, no, I, thought, I always just, thought that you could get a higher quality light, with, and that's the reason you might buy a. And uh, an offset one, but I could. I, okay, uh, that comes in from the objective, right? I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so really, it just comes it down is. to. I mean, why would you buy one over the other? Why would you get one over the other? Like you said, maybe comfort yeah. for the offset, and maybe yeah. being able to match looking, up what your eyes telling uphill, you. Looking uphill, downhill. You know, if you're in steep country and you're looking up, you know, it's hard to get into a straight scope. Yeah. Looking downhill, it's easier to get into a straight scope. Yeah. Well, yeah, the higher a, the <laughs> higher you put that power in a variable. Sp- spotting scope the less light you're going to get so sure power wise sure sure you know a real good rule of thumb is five to one on your objective versus your power so you know a 1040 okay that's four to one right 842 that's over five to one so and it follows true in in your spotting scopes also so you know i use an 85 objective so um that 20 power it it's it's got a lot of light. Kind of but you take that sure. to sixty, you know, you're now you're dang near equal. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not able to gather that kind of light. And plus, your field of view is 
to me is real important. Um, and then not being able to stay in them is, is key. Being able to stay in those things for mm-hmm. hour after hour. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do that with $300, you know, spot. What's your go-to uh, rifle scope? You know, let's say for elk. Do you go with a bigger objective for light, like a 50 millimeter objective? Do you go 5 to 25, 3 to 16? Where, where are you at? I'm at 50. You're a 50 I'm objective. 50. And what's your magnification? 3 to 15? 4 to 14. Four and a half to 14. 4 and a half to 14. I like 5 to 25. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You know, I mean, but then again, you know, like we're talking about, uh, you know, you go hunt bear, you know, you, you don't want anything over two power. You know, you want a one and a half power, two power. So, I, you know, it, it's the, what, what kind of big game are we hunting? How close are we going to be? Uh, you do, know. You like, uh, do you like MRAD <laughs> or MOA? I like MOA, minimum angle, because I understand it. Yeah. You know, if, if, I, if I understood the other one, it wouldn't, you know, mill dot, it wouldn't. But I understand MOA pretty well. Do you like first focal plane or standard? Uh, probably standard. Yeah, I do too. Well, probably standard. Some of this stuff, you know, when, you know, when I started, there was two spotting scope manufacturers. And I was going to say this earlier. But Sears Roebuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost. But, yeah, they probably bought the Bushnell. But you had the Bushnell Century and and uh, straight 20 power. And then you had your, you could buy your little screw in and, you know, you'd take 20 power out and put a 60 power in. And, and it was a 60 millimeter you know, objective, and, and then you had the Redfield, the old red, Redfield, oh, yeah. and it came in an aluminum box, and, you know, when they first came out, that, that's what we had. You know, that was your choices. And you look, that's what I was going to say earlier, that it took a long time for spotting scopes to evolve. I mean, you know, we had tons of rifle manufacturers. We had lots of ammo manufacturers. Um, you know, even probably rifle scopes, we probably had those, but... You know, spotting scopes, you, you were pretty much limited to one of two manufacturers back in the 70s. Mm. And they, they came a long ways, a long ways. That's funny. I was moving some stuff out of that old safe and Dad's 270 that we we bought with aluminum cans that we gathered up for however many months or years or whatever and bought that 270 and it still has that red field i think like five by 15 red yeah, field or whatever it is it's still yeah. the same so scope red that thing. i thought it was leopold no it was a red field huh uh, yeah i remember that one i remember the 300 i sold to your dad he loved that gun big old 26 inch barrel on it yeah that's yeah he killed that killed accurate, that elk with it actually yeah. yeah he killed a couple deer with it too and yeah. antelope you know but uh, I, I shot that whenever he first got that, and I shot it one time. I never wanted to shoot it again. That thing broke my shoulder. I'll never forget that. <laughs> we were up at the reservoir up, up on the ranch. <laughs> so did, you, did he have to wake you up before oh you took God, the shot? Oh, hurt my shoulder. Remember that was that kick I ever had. Yeah, he, he was, Clint was always asleep. Hey, wake up, wake up. <laughs> There's your antelope. <laughs> I have some good stories about shooting. Yeah, got the shot. Shit, shoot. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> Bang. Still got the shirt Season. to prove it. Yeah. yeah. Got it hanging in my closet. We'll see. Have you ever hunted with red dots? I have. I have that Vortex. 
Um, Spark, Crossfire, Strike Force, Razor, Viper, I think AMG, the Viper. Spitfire, Venom. I don't remember. But I did just this year. What with what? Or what were you hunting? Just varmints. Oh just yeah, varmints. I like having for predator hunting, especially up close. They have well, a, they're quick. They have that one to. They have a one to ten. Uh, I think it's the razor line one to ten. It's so freaking awesome. Has a you know, it's not really even a red dot. It's illuminated reticle. Mm-hmm. Oh man, love it, love it, love it. Makes a lot of difference to to get used to it first. Yeah, you don't think it. You don't have the confidence in it. You know, I'm just shooting at this little dot. You know I mean, does this really work? I need crosshair. You know, is this thing working? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just overall, I think optics in my mind gives you a lot of confidence in in hunting because yes, the rifles and bullets and all that but when you can get behind a gun and know that if you do everything correctly and your your gun is shooting you know it has the right ammunition and you pull the trigger correctly and it's going to hit where you aim through that Mm -hmm. scope i think that when you're out in the mountain you're you know obviously the the hunting bug gets to you and buck fever and all that stuff but really it's going to be down to human error at that point you know if you like, I shot my buddy Jared, went out and helped me set up the elk rifle, the new Benelli Lupo. And I've never, in my mind, I was like, I'm good. I'm a good enough hunter. I'm going to sneak in to 200 yards and shoot shoot whatever I can shoot. I'm, I'm that good of a hunter. I could sneak in. Well, when I first had my first elk tag. We made that mistake a few times. I mean, it's crazy. The distances you have to be able to shoot in for elk hunting in Western United States. I mean, like you're saying, the the, the ravines and the hills are so steep. If you drop down 20 yards to try to get closer, you're never going to see that elk again. And you you might have an opening in the in the trees for three seconds, five seconds, where he pops out of a little opening, and that ravine is 800 yards across, you know, or more, or 1250 yards, whatever it is. And I think if you practice enough with, you know, the technology in these scopes to be able to just to turn that, dial that turret in to that yardage, because the, ga- the the ammo and the rifle can, they're going to do, the they're going to do the job. Obviously, as long as you pick the right <laughs> ammunition, you know, the and, grains and, for and the and animal and you pick and your time, stuff. you know, I mean, I have... I don't have any problem with someone who practices and, and shoots long range. I have no problem with yeah. it. Guys that can afford things, they they think they can do it. I've got problems with that, but um, and make an ethical shot on them. The the wind, uh, you know, you you can tolerate a ten mile an hour wind, but when it gets twenty, there's just you know that there's just as much drift sideways as there is up and down. So. You got to be super, super careful, and you know you had to have done it a few times, so more than a few times. It's those wet saddle blankets again. That's what makes <laughs> a good horse. You know, it's it's, uh, it's very important. But you're exactly right. The technology has come so far, yeah. so far, and you know your dad was good. You know, pretty good 
damn good, I'll say, at, at you know, estimating yardage. But when you're off, you're off, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, with, with a good, with a good range finder, you know how far he is, you're going to tell yourself, yeah, I'm comfortable with this shot. Yep. No, I'm not. Exactly. You know, and that's, that, that is, that range finder can put confidence in you too. You know, you might look, oh, that, that thing's 600 yards, you put him in a, Oh, he's 330. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've done uh, that before. Huge difference. <laughs> yeah, I've never, prior to, up, I'm, I'm five years into shooting over four or 500 yards. I never took a shot over 400 right. yards ever. Maybe at a running coyote because, you know, you're whatever. I, mean, I don't want to educate him and taking a Hail Mary shot to try to kill him. But on, on any big game animal or anything, I've never taken a shot over. I would say 400 yards. And when I, you know, learned about elk hunting and I, the first time I went and going again, it's amazing how far you have to shoot. And it is. you have to be able to, if you want to kill an animal in the country out here, you have to practice, practice, practice. And it really, I mean, I, Vortex, they, they make it easy. That technology is absolutely amazing to me. That and another thing I want to talk about, just the last thing. This is I love this part about a lot of people don't understand about long range shooting is having to be level when you hold that rifle. Every single level. Everything not just when you mount it up. I'm talking about if you're shooting at a hundred yards, you're gonna be fine. Two hundred yards, maybe even three hundred yards, you're gonna be fine. But when you start turn uh, dialing that turret up and you're shooting at 800 a thousand yards and you have that rifle tilted. Talk, i mean tilted a it's half tanted, a degree yeah. a half a degree and pull the trigger it's not going to hit that target you're going to be off to the right wherever where you have it tilted off and low to the right or off and low to the left or whatever the case may be because you're truly not going up exactly right vertical you're, up at an angle. you're going up at an angle so you're not actually shooting 800 yards you're shooting so if anybody out there is looking into long range shooting, make sure you get a bubble leveler for your scope and marry that to the the rifle being level to the scope, scope being level to this bubbler because it makes a huge difference for you to be able to settle in, take your breath, and open your uh, you know eye one last time and make sure that bubble's level and come back and pull that trigger. You you can't make a ethical accurate shot at 700 yards without it yeah agreed unless you're some kind of just you know marine sniper that's practiced so much you can do it in your sleep but outside of that you can't probably another appropriate thing to say now is (laughs) is uh you know range finders you know you're looking uphill or downhill on an animal with a range finder and if it doesn't have the angle compensation in it, yeah, for sure. You know, you're going to overshoot that thing. You know, uh, every time. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, he might be. A lot of people don't understand the way a bullet works, but um, you know, it's every gravitation is the same on anything. The pull of it back to the back to the world. So he might be. On that angle, you might be looking uphill 30 degrees, and he's 500 yards, 30 degrees. Well, I'm going to shoot him at 500. No, it's the horizontal <coughs> distance to him, you know. Yeah, there's a lot. Not of- on that askew. So 
it, it, you know, it's a lot less. It's that old right triangle stuff, geometry. <laughs> yeah, a lot go. goes into it. And I a never, squared, B squared. <laughs> I never thought about it until, you know, my buddy Jared, we really, he started getting into it and he started getting into it first. And, ah, man, I, I, hit, if I hit my, you know, he first got into it. I hit my first target at 800. Now I hit my first mile target. I'm just like, what? You hit a, what? And now I've gotten into it and a little bit with him and, and I've hit stuff out to 1,200 yards, and which is, absolutely insane you think it's crazy you got a 20 power scope i mean it's it, crazy today you know a 400 yard shot is a chip shot with with these type oh, of yeah. scopes that vortex has and yeah. several other guys but they're it is it's just be confident in what you do yeah. you know it, you have to be confident in what you do and if you're not if you're second guessing yourself don't pull the trigger yeah, 100%. back out of it and wait for another time well, I think that's pretty good conversation about optics. You got anything else, Clint? No. I, I will say then what I want to say is if you are looking into it, um, I'm sure, uh, you know, other people have it, but Vortex, their customer service and people are, are so knowledgeable. You could call them up and ask them about anything from range finder, spotting scope, range, anything you think. They have some expert in their staff that could sit there and talk to you about it. Um, and they're very helpful. So if you are looking into what rifle scope I should get, what, you know, spotting scope I should get, whatever, this is my only rifle, 22, 250 or 270, they'll call them up, ask them. They'll have somebody to give you the information about. So and their, their warranty should be called a guarantee, really. Yeah. I mean, they, they have... They have some of no the best industry awesome. warranty there is. I love those animated happy. deals they do on social media. You know, <laughs> real life stories, and they animate them. You know, yeah, ran over my binoculars. You know, it's in the middle of my hunt. You know, and it's kind of cool. Real yeah. life stories, and ha- right when I got home, I had the binoculars in the mail. Yeah, and no questions Good asked. Well, all right. Well, thanks, Uncle Mel. Well, we'll sign off here. Good night, guys. Until next time. See ya. Weird.